who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, Visit scottsigler.com slash ancestor. November 8th. The gang's all here. Stop it, Hans. Jean's bloody hands ignored her. They kept sewing. The needle pricks were worse this time, each one a piercing sting she felt clear down to the bone. Wet red dampened the panda body's black and white fur. Stop it, Hans. She finished sewing. Just like the time before and the times before that, the mishmash creature's big black eyes fluttered to life, blinking like a drunken man awakening to the noonday sun. Evil. Jean felt evil pouring off the thing like the acrid stench of a skunk. She wanted to move, to run, but her body obeyed no better than her possessed hands. Evil enough to kill her. And wasn't that what she truly deserved? The creature looked at her. It opened its wide mouth. Jean started to scream. Sarah and Alonzo sat in the C-5 cockpit. The equipment-packed space smelled of artificial pine, thanks to the green, tree-shaped car air freshener Alonzo had hung off the overhead systems panel. Sarah could feel the tension pouring off her co-pilot and she'd had just about enough. Out with it, Zoe, she said. You've been biting your tongue for hours. If you've got something to say, say it. He examined his instruments, making a show of looking very closely at everything in front of him. Sarah let the silence hang. She just stared at him. The cockpit door opened. Miller and Cappy came in. Normally, they didn't come up to the cockpit during a flight. Well, well, well. Sarah said. The gang's all here. I bet you're ready to talk now, hey, Zoe? Alonzo nodded. You actually need us to say it? Say what, exactly? Miller laughed a small laugh. We're so reserved and mysterious. See if you can guess what we're thinking. Yeah, Cappy said. See if you can guess and shit. Let's see, Sarah said, rubbing her chin and looking up. The spirits tell me... 
You're concerned that we're transporting a genetic experiment that we know nothing about. Bzzz, Alonzo said. Wrong, but thanks for playing. Come on, guys, enough. Talk to me. Miller, sit your ass down and spill. Miller took the observer seat, which was right behind the co-pilot seat. Sure, the genetic stuff freaks me out, he said, but I signed up for that. I knew what I was getting into. Cappy remained standing. He crossed his arms over his chest. What we didn't sign up for, Chicky Poo, was flying Fred into a fucking combat zone, complete with burning buildings and dead bodies, then loading up casualties and flying out fast. A new Fred isn't built for hot zone operations like that, let alone a rebuilt one. You know this. Fred was a nickname for the entire C-5 line. It stood for Fucking Ridiculous Economic Disaster. The planes normally required about 16 hours of maintenance for each hour of flight time. Their modified version was updated with state-of-the-art gear from top to bottom, so it was easier to maintain, but Cappy was still dead on. This plane was not designed for combat operations. But what could they do about it now? Sarah shrugged, wondering if she looked as nonchalant as she hoped. Alonzo didn't appreciate the attitude. Sarah, a man died back there. This is supposed to be a science experiment, not an action movie. It was Sarah's turn to look away, to overly examine the instruments. She and the boys had been together for seven years. They'd been in her C-5 crew during their days in the Air Force. When they all got out, they pooled their money and bought a 747 that had been converted for pure cargo hauling. There had been plenty of shipping offers from drug smugglers, but Sarah and the boys never took those jobs. Most of their income came from FedEx and UPS, when those companies had an overflow of cargo that absolutely, positively, had to be there overnight. They'd own their own company, controlled their own destiny, and that had been a thrilling feeling. Unfortunately, drops in shipping demands worldwide caught them unprepared. They quickly fell behind on payments and were in danger of losing everything. Then, P.J. Colding had come a-calling, her knight in shining armor. If Sarah and her crew agreed to help rebuild Janata's Frankenstein C-5, the company would pay off the 747 completely and give each of them a six-figure salary just to be on retainer. All she and her three closest friends had to do was keep the C-5 in top condition and be ready to fly on a moment's notice. We made a deal, guys, Sarah said. We took Janata's money, a lot of it. It's not like the Paglione brothers can open the yellow pages and just go find another crew for this bird. The Paglions, Alonzo said. You sure you don't mean colding? We're not blind, Sarah. We've seen you hook up with guys before, but you had a major shine-on for that big geek. Fuck you, Sarah said. I screwed up once. No way I'm hitting that again. And even if I do, you know goddamn well that wouldn't influence my decision. Bottom line is we can't be replaced. If we quit... We're leaving Janata in the lurch. I know that, boss, Miller said. But people are willing to kill for this shit. Yeah, Cappy said. Willing to kill. And the freaking U.S. government? Military, maybe? Who is this Colonel Fishercat, anyway? And how about that burning body? Alonzo asked. That kind of thing ain't our business. She put her fingers on her temples and rubbed. Alonzo was right. They were all right, but they were also fresh out of options. Guys, this situation sucks for us, but if we just stay cool and finish the job, 
We own our 747 free and clear. I'm willing to take risks to make that happen. If we bail, we lose everything we've struggled for. Me? To be blunt, I'd rather die first. But if you guys want out, say the word, and we walk as soon as we land. She stared at each of them in turn. It had to be a group decision. She couldn't coerce them one way or another, nor would she. These men were her family, the brothers she'd never had. They all looked at the ground, the equipment, anywhere but at Sarah. None of them wanted to work for someone else ever again. But how far were they willing to go for that? She leaned out of her seat and stared hard at Alonzo. Well, I can't decide this for you. Make a decision. Alonzo seemed to shrink into his seat. He hated to be put on the spot. I like being my own boss, but you have to promise us that if it gets crazy, that this whole burning body thing was anything other than a one-time fluke, then we're out. Deal? Sarah nodded. Well then, fuck it, Alonzo said. We all look out for each other. We finish the job. I'm in. Sarah turned to stare at the twins, but she already knew their answer. I agree with Zoe, Miller said. Fuck it. I'm in. Cappy gave a thumbs up. Me too. I'll even throw in a mandatory fuck it just so I can swear like all the cool kids. Sarah laughed. Okay, now that we've got that cleared up, let's do our jobs. I'm going to check on Gian and Roomkorf. Zoe, you keep flying. Cappy and Miller, go check on that drunk-ass Tim Feely. If he's still out, just leave him in the crash chair. Sarah followed Cappy and Miller out of the cockpit. They descended the fore ladder to the lower deck while Sarah walked to the upper deck lab. The tiger arm and the baby arm simultaneously reached up toward her face. Bent sewing needles sprouted from the fingertips, the paw tips. No, John whimpered. No, please, no. Needles sank into her shoulders. The wide mouth opened and leaned in toward her face. Breath like a puppy's. Long teeth wet with saliva. John lost her grip on the stuffed monstrosity. The creature fell to the grass. It landed on all fours and started to scramble toward her, hissing in anger, black eyes narrow with hatred and hunger. Finally, all her pain and suffering would end. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. 
And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Do you know how much you have in common with some of your favorite celebrities, leaders, newsmakers? I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin, where you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll find out who they really are and what they represent. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. Sarah entered the lab to find Jean asleep on her computer desk, head and arms lying heavily to the left of a computer keyboard. Her glossy hair seemed to melt right into the desk's black surface. She was asleep, but not motionless. The woman twitched and whimpered. Roomkorf was sitting at a terminal across the lab, either ignoring Jean's nightmare or oblivious to it. Dr. Roomkorf, Sarah said. Is she okay? He looked up from his computer, then looked at Jean. He waved a hand dismissively. She does that all the time. He bent back to his work. What an asshole. Sarah gently shook Jean's shoulders. The woman snapped up and awake, looked at Sarah and flinched away as if Sarah were some creature straight from the nightmare. Take it easy, Sarah said in a soothing voice. It's okay. Jean blinked, took a deep breath, held it, then let it out in a slow, long exhale. This chick was a total mess. Must have been a humdinger of a dream. Jean's eyes suddenly darted to the right, to her multiple computer screens. Then she twisted her body to look under the desk. John, what is it? Did you see it? See what? John looked around the lab quickly, eyes hunting. I thought I saw one of them. One of what, honey? The woman jammed her fists into her eyes and rubbed. I thought I saw something, but nothing is there. Sarah reached out and stroked John's long black hair. Just take a breath, kiddo. You had a nightmare, that's all. John stared back with haunted, hollow eyes. That's all, she said, with a whisper, then laughed quietly. It was a high-pitched laugh. Had it been louder, Sarah might have mistaken it for a scream. Jeanne turned to her computer, shoulders hunched, hair hanging in front of her face. She had the carriage of a woman who'd been beaten by her husband or boyfriend. And still, Roomkorf was oblivious. Total asshole. Miss Perenham, may I ask a question? Don't call me Miss, Sarah said and smiled. I work for a living. You call me Sarah. Jeanne shook her head. I use respectful terms only. Okay, then Sarah it is. Sarah put a finger under Jeanne's chin and gently lifted, tilting the woman's head back. Bright red splotches dotted Jeanne's neck, precursors to the already forming dark bruises. We need to get some mice on your neck. I am fine, Miss Burnham. Sarah. And when I get the ice, you will put it on. Now, what's your question? Where did you get such a plane? This is a flying lab. Everything we need. It is amazing. 
It's a C-5B that once upon a time crash-landed at Dover Air Force Base, Sarah said. Most of the plane was sold for scrap, which Colding bought up through one of Janata's dummy corporations. We got parts from two other crashes and new engines from a quiet contract with Boeing. Colding went to Baffin with you. My crew and I oversaw the reassembly project in Brazil. Pour in money, shake well, and Janata has its own hot-rodded, big-ass flying lab. You put pieces together to make a new hole, John said, then nodded. That is like what I do for Janata, but I do it inside the computer. But you guys chop up cells and DNA, stuff like that, Sarah said. You can't do that on a computer, can you? Jian hopped up and waddled to a white machine. She looked relieved to have something to talk about, or maybe someone to talk to. She gestured at the machine like an auto show model displaying a new concept car. This is our oligosynthesizer. When I make genomes in the computer, this machine creates DNA, one nucleotide at a time, the same way you would build chain links, only on a much smaller scale. The device didn't look that dramatic to Sarah. Waist-high, mostly off-white plastic, bristling with orderly tubes and hoses and plastic jars. It didn't look that sci-fi, but what Jean was saying, well, that was just beyond sci-fi. I don't think I get it, Sarah said. You're telling me this is like a biological inkjet printer? It can make, I don't know, hot-rotted DNA? Jean nodded. This is the most advanced machine of its kind in the world. It can build full custom chromosomes that we create and test inside the computer. Holy shit. That's amazing. Imagine the brain that came up with that one. That brain is mine, Jeanne said. She smiled proudly, an expression that seemed to crack a hidden reserve of beauty Sarah hadn't seen before. I invented it. I call my computer the God Machine, so this oligo machine is like the hand of God. Isn't that funny? No. It wasn't funny. In fact, the name sent a chill down Sarah's spine. The God Machine. And right smack dab in the middle of her plane. Sarah didn't like it. Not one damn bit. Let me get some ice for your neck, Sarah said. I'll be right back. November 8th, God Machines. Sarah gently wrapped gauze around Jean's neck. The gauze held a small ice pack in place over darkening bruises. Jean tilted her head to accommodate, but she never stopped typing. Her eyes flicked across her half-hemisphere of screens. Sarah couldn't understand what the woman was doing. The only thing on the screens was an endless list of four letters, C, G, T, and A. I know you're smart and all. Sarah said. But doesn't the computer handle that coding stuff? Jian shrugged. Sometimes I see things that give me idea. I tweak genome here, tweak genome there. I am hoping I can reload our latest research from the drive I brought on board. As if to punctuate her point, Jian called up a new window, typed in a few lines of code, then returned to the endlessly scrolling list of A, G, T, and C. The computer gave off a loud single beep. Jean took in a sharp breath and held it. She stared at the screen with a spooky intensity. Jean reminded Sarah of a hardcore gambler waiting for the dice to stop tumbling. Jean clicked the mouse, and Sarah saw actual words appear on the screen. Restore from backup complete. Gino May 17 loaded. 
viability probability, 95.0567%. Begin synthesis, yes or no. Roomkorf's head popped out from behind his terminal. Is it loaded? Yes, Dr. Roomkorf, Jean said. He ran over. Scurried was a better word, because the fidgety man reminded Sarah of a rat with glasses. Sarah, he said, please go wake up Mr. Feely. Tell him we need to prepare and run the immune response test immediately. Sarah saw Jean's right hand move the mouse. On the screen, the pointer hovered over yes. Jean's left hand stayed flat on the desktop. She actually crossed her fingers, then clicked the mouse. A mechanical humming sound came from the oligo machine. The hand of God. Sarah quickly left the lab, partly to wake up Feely, and partly because she didn't want to be anywhere near that thing. November 8th. Roomkorf saves the day. The C-5's incessant in-flight hum filled the lab's stillness, but Klaus barely noticed it. All of his attention rested on the bulkhead monitor, as did that of Jean and Tim. Once again, the grid of 150 squares. Black filled only 19 of them. 131 out of 150. They all kept checking watches, looking at the time counter in the monitor, even scanning for other clocks in the room. It had never gone this long. Usually this far into the test, there were fewer than 10 eggs left. Another panel went black. 130 out of 150. Three people held their breath, waiting for the inevitable cascade of black squares. A cascade that did not appear. Mr. Feely, Klaus said, give me the time. He could have gone by the clock on the screen, but he couldn't let himself believe it. There had to be a mistake. Tim had the official time, and that was what Klaus wanted. Erica had kept the official time before, but she was no longer part of the project. Now her duties, all of them, fell to Tim. 24 minutes, 13 seconds, Tim said. Klaus felt a flicker of hope. Maybe. Maybe. He watched, waited. No more black squares appeared. The embryos vibrated as their cells split and split again, taking them well into the marula stage. In some of the squares, the lethal macrophages actually sat side by side with the marulas. But no more attacks. No one spoke. Klaus suddenly noticed that the jet engine hum was the only sound in the lab. Time? Tim started to talk then gagged and covered his mouth. Erica had not only been the superior intellect, she also, apparently, could hold her liquor better. 28 minutes and 30 seconds, Tim said, recovering. Mark! In square 38, an egg quivered. Another successful mitosis. The macrophages moved around aimlessly. Klaus had done it. He had beaten the immune response. His strategy had been risky. Shorting Jean's meds brought on her manic-depressive symptoms, but it also freed up her mind. Her most creative solutions had always come when she was on the edge of madness. Soon, perhaps, he could get her to her normal medication level, but not now, not when he needed her at her best. The implantation process came next. 
If that brought more problems, they would need fast solutions. They were on the run from world governments, for God's sake. Speed was of the essence. Besides, Jean's nightmares were getting worse, but her hallucinations had only started recently. He probably had a week or so before she got suicidal. Maybe less. But that was the kind of gamble you took when immortality was on the line. He counted off 60 more seconds, just to be sure. No more black squares. It is a success, he said. We need to prepare the eggs for implantation. He wished Erica could have been here for this. Despite her horrible actions, she was a brilliant scientist. Oh well, she'd just have to read about it in the journals. Maybe he'd even leave her name on some of the lesser research papers. Jean, however, would get full secondary credit. She'd earned it. He saw her fingering the bandage around her neck, the bandage covering the bruises Erica had given her. Women. They were all crazy. Jean, what changed? Klaus said. What did you do? The four new samples helped, Dr. Rumkoff, but I also had an idea, very simple, that we had not thought. We want internal organs, and we've coded to make those compatible with humans. The rest of the body, we were going piecemeal, replacing small groups of proteins at a time, trying to find the missing piece of the compatibility puzzle. Mr. Feely gave me an idea. I did? Feely said. Yes. I realized that there was one organ unnecessary to our needs. I told the computer to swap out all DNA for that organ, then perform a hundred thousand generations of test evolution. It seems the DNA associated with that organ was the final immune response trigger. But which organ? Klaus said, his voice trailing off. No, it couldn't be that simple, could it? He had asked them to step back, think differently. Jean had done exactly that and found something they all should have seen months ago. Well, Tim said, what organ was it? The largest organ, Klaus said, getting the words out before Jean could say them. The integument, the skin. Tim looked from Klaus to Jean. Really? Jean nodded, even smiled a little. The ancestors will have cow fur. And that's it, Tim said. Problem solved? Of course that didn't solve the problem. The boy wasn't even close to Erica's brilliance. Don't be stupid, Mr. Feely. All we did was defeat the immune response. That allows us to implant, monitor, measure, and modify as we go. We will probably lose all the embryos within a few days of implantation. When we cloned the quagga, we implanted over 1,200 blastocysts before one survived to birth. That part of the Quagga project was Dr. Holes, Mr. Feely. Now it's yours. Tim's eyes widened. But, but I'm Jean's assistant. We have to get someone else in here to replace Erica. There is no one else, Klaus said. We are isolated. We have to stay hidden. Congratulations, Mr. Feely. You've just been promoted. But, but I can't. She brought back species from extinction. I can't. You can and you will, Klaus said. Time to grow up, Mr. Feely. Millions of avoidable deaths now rest squarely on your shoulders. Tim blinked again. He opened his mouth to speak, but gagged, ran to a trash can, and threw up in it. 
You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.